Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This episode is the first of our four episodes talking with Adam Packhat, Magic the Gathering illustrator and artist. Adam was so kind to donate three and a half hours of his time to recording with us this past weekend, and we are so, so, so grateful for that. It was such a blast talking to him and finding out where he comes from, not just geographically and historically, but when he approaches his artwork in Magic the Gathering. You can see the passion and energy that he brings to the canvas, be it digital or tangible. This episode, we're going to be talking about pizza cities, emu wars, castle seclusion, and 60-foot paintings, and why Magic the Gathering needs to print bigger cards. But everything else aside, we just want to remind you that this episode is presented by Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at hipstersofthecoast.com. So, without any further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This week brings a very special episode as we have a special guest with us. All the way from Deutschland, Magic the Gathering illustrator Adam Paquette is with us. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're um, being approved to banter <laughs> here for a bit, according to the show notes. So. Oh, thanks Thanks for putting all the, like, behind the curtain out on Front Street. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah this, is, this is all improvised, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in, uh, as I was saying before, I'm in my in my shared studio in um, Neukölln, in the bottom of Berlin, south side of Berlin, down near the Ring, the Ring Barn. And uh, I've I've asked the construction crew to keep the noise down for an hour, but I have very little control over them, uh, especially <laughs> as it's the after lunch beer time, and they get a little rowdy with the drills. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. So are you guys in Minnesota? August. Yeah, is that where you are? Okay, yeah. Cool. So we're 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 in Minneapolis. Um, okay. Is there like a megapolis somewhere? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Does wow. it does it does it become that if it reaches a certain critical size? <laughs> As the producer, I should actually just be searching this right now. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just demonstrating my geographical ignorance. We're in uh, what is typically called in the U.S. flyover country, which is huh. what I had always thought of it. As I'm from California, so you pass over right. on your way to other places. And now that I live here, it's it's actually it's a great amazing place to be because people like to be outdoors a lot of the nordic and the germanic people settled here and they're willing to go out during winter people don't stop going out just because it's winter time and i actually really appreciate that now i just have an image of you like up in the mountains somewhere looking up at planes laughing suckers on your way to california i mean thinking it's so cool the, the only thing I tell my wife about the hardest part about me settling here was not having mountains is the weirdest thing to me. Like I grew up in uh-huh. like mountains surrounding me. My parents' house is. Oh, I, I, I imagine Minneapolis. Uh, I imagined uh, Minnesota having mountains. No, no. It's okay, only okay. artificial ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which they make real, for skiing. Yeah, real flat around here. Same <laughs> same as Berlin, actually. We have, uh, we have a bunch of, uh, I mean, they're hills, then really not mountains at all, but they were built from the, the rubble after the war. Oh, wow. And so they, wow. they collected it all and built these artificial, uh, yeah, kind of pyramid 
mountain things and put radio stations on top of them and a couple of them are parks and stuff like that but that's so a like, good way yeah. to turn a disaster into something positive that's yeah, awesome. yeah yeah but it's kind of strange like when you get up somewhere high and you look out over the city and you just see these little kind of artificial hills it's it's really kind of i don't know as as you know coming from australia we don't have a lot of visible history um you know we don't have castles we don't have you know war ruins and bullet holes and stuff mm-hmm. like that so being in Europe is a really uh, is a really interesting experience, both in terms of you know modern history and and World War II and stuff like that, and then also you know driving around and seeing castles and and the really old stuff. So that was that's was and still is a new thing for me. That was see that was banter right there. Yeah, we <laughs> nailed, nailed it. it. <laughs> oh. Always learning. Well, before we get in too deep to some of the stuff that we want to talk today mm. about with your art, Adam. We're going to ask both you and the other co-host to answer an introductory question, our burning inquiry that we normally do. And we like to embarrass people when we have guests on because it's a great way to ensure they'll come back in the future. We'll so, try. Uh, we want to know what is your favorite artwork that has been done by Adam to date? Um, I'll start us off because I am afraid that one of my co-hosts will steal my answers. So, uh, I'm Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. And you have done so many amazing lands, and so and we're nowhere going to get into that. So I decided to go with one of your actual planeswalkers, which is Freylise, um, because Freylise was brought back. I mean, we're a lore podcast. We love the storyline. Freylise is somebody who didn't have a card that we only knew kind of from storylines, flavor text. Yeah. I mean, she's a badass. She's got this <laughs> eye patch, which I mean, you give me an eye patch. I'm like ready to go. I love that. <laughs> but the art just really captures the power of her. Um, and I, I was just looking at it. It was, I was preparing for the show and it made me really appreciate how you brought an old character that we didn't really have a lot of reference to, to life. Cool. Yeah, likewise. I uh, when I fa- it was the first planeswalker idea. I haven't done. I haven't done many. I think I've only done two, in fact. Um, <clears throat> and when I found out, I was like, "Yeah, planeswalker, cool." And they're like, "Yeah, it's it's one without any existing artwork except for this one uh, this one painting by Rebecca." Yep. Which was like, you know, I think I think it might have even just been the face. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, cool. Yeah, no, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right in the deep end there. You know, all yeah, the yeah. other ones have like sixty reference images." Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, it was, it was obviously a really cool thing to also be able to implement that and, and sort of set the direction for yeah. for the design. So No, I mean, I love it because you're basically being asked, like, here you go, just jump in and take over this character that people love, but we haven't really had a lot of reference for. Yeah. Don't mess it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's, totally. here's Michael Jordan. And you're going to follow after Michael Jordan. Here's a here's a photo of Michael Jordan's ear. Now design Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> My name is Joe Redman. You can find me on Twitter at Findhorn. And uh, I, for a similar reason to yours, Hobbs, I really love uh, the. Uh, Pollyano the High City, the legendary land that you did from Conspiracy, Adam. And and it's a similar reason. We don't have any other images of what the Plain of Fiora looks like Mm -hmm. in in sort of a larger scale. And here we get that that beautiful imagery of what this, this... elevated city which we know a little bit from the backstory of the lore that these the people certainly think they are elevated you know the the wealthy nobles think they're elevated above the common populace but now we get to see very literally they are you know so far removed from them and and aloof and and that really comes across in that work 
Cool. Yeah, that was um, that was really fun. Like, obviously, I think for for any painter, Italy is a really important uh, sort of touchstone visually and in terms of architecture and, and atmosphere. And uh, so it was fun to play around with that, but it was also kind of directly uh, inspired, not in the design, but but just in the way that I felt about that city and the the kind of um, upper and lower class by um, Midgar in uh, Final Fantasy VII. Um, yeah, I just like that was that was one of the strongest kind of memories of my um, inspiration as a teenager and playing around in these different fantasy worlds was just this giant kind of pizza city sitting on top of the slums <laughs> and and that train that spiraled around and so I kind of had that in mind when I painted it and yeah it was a fun one. I'm uh, Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Alexander Newm, um, and. I have changed my card choice about three times as we've been recording. <laughs> For the current favorite art, um, I'm going to go with Jace's Sanctum. Yeah, cool. Mm. Uh, as, a, as an avid reader, I'm just extremely jealous that Jace gets this library. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and there's just a lot of cool little touches, like the the hedron that he's probably examining for some reason, and like little baubles yep. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That one I did in, um, like, I'm just like, every time you mention one of my cars, I'm going to tell a story. I hope that's all right. <laughs> oh, that's great. So that one I actually painted in, I was traveling in Barcelona and they had a library there. I think it was part of a university. It was in Pueblo I forget. I think it was a university library that I was using for the Wi-Fi. And, um, <laughs> and it was like in some kind of, uh, aqueduct sort of structure that had been repurposed and turned into this university library. So the architecture, I was basically staring at it while I designed it, give or take. <laughs> and uh, yeah, equally um, jealous of the collection because for for most of my career, I've been a traveling freelancer and, and working in different countries. And the thing that I miss the most is having a studio and having a, a proper place to set up and even now I have this great studio in Berlin, but all my books and everything are, are back in Australia and I have to decide whether I get them shipped over and that kind of stuff. So yeah, there was a lot that went into that one as well. And then that all those little bits and pieces on the the table and that idea of what's around that that, that character is studying in that space came up again in um Psy Master Thopterist when he when I designed this character and he has the the bell jars with butterflies in them that he's studying to design the Thopters. That was kind of a throwback to to Jace's Sanctum a little bit. I mean, what I appreciate too is from what we're hearing just even from this art is you've you've really been able to put your stamp on planes that we know less about, mm -hmm. um, that we only kind of have known from our history and not really getting to see visually until now. I mean, with what we're getting to see and then the upcoming sets, so we're getting more of this, you know, conspiracy or letting us kind of do the commander sets, these supplementals that are letting us see areas that we never got to fully explore in art previously. Right. I, I don't know whether to take that as a, as a compliment from wizards or not. Like <laughs> you can, you can do the stuff that we're not sure how it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep you over here on the side. You can experiment. We're optimists here. So we're going to say that they're doing it because they trust you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's go with that. So Do now you, you get to introduce yourself and make it incredibly awkward by choosing one of your children to give us another story about. All right. Well, I'm Adam Puckett. You can find me 
you, ca- you probably can't find me. I'm, I'm pretty well hidden uh, in the real world. But on the interwebs, you can find me at Adam Parkett on Twitter and Instagram. That's my uh, personal art. And at Adam Parkett underscore MTG on Instagram for my magic stuff. Ooh, picking one of my favorite children. I was going to say Jace's Sanctum, but (laughs) you poached it. Uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, they all have stories. They all have cool things about them that, that I can dive into, but I think probably just as the painting that was fun that I like aesthetically and has a little nod in it is the, the vertical Island from Zendikar. Mm. Um, Because I'd seen a bunch of paintings, like old Russian landscape paintings that were from the top of a mountain and they were looking down on like a coastal peninsula. And so I put this thing in the very background and I was really happy with the way that that looked. And then I was really happy with the sense of like feeling like I was up on a solid landmass, but in the air. And then I threw in the the bucket island um, that Vince Prost yeah. designed for the for the previous Zendikar set, and uh, he's a buddy of mine. And so it was kind of like probably the first time that I'd included a friend's piece in one of my own oh. as a little nod to to something that I thought was really cool. So yeah, that was that was just a fun, simple, and it and it went really quickly and smoothly too. And and that isn't always the case. So I like it when when that happens. I mean, I love the nod to Vincent and from a fan perspective, it's, it's knowing that we're on the same plane and seeing things from a different perspective, which is just something we talk on the show a lot about is perspective and viewpoints and how to view that. And from a fan getting to see that in the art that we're basically seeing what we saw before almost from a different angle was really cool when that art hit. So we want to talk just a little bit about how you got into creating art, kind of what how you begin to get in that process where you got to do art for magic, you know, were you a player before or were you, where, where did you kind of get into the magic world? Cause you said that you started painting and especially oil painting even before you were doing magic art, right? Right. Yeah. Long before. So I, I, um, I, I wasn't one of these kids that grew up with comic books and pop culture and that kind of thing. I think that's the probably the answer that you hear most often from from magic artists and illustrators is that they, you know, they loved Star Wars or they loved comics or something like that and so they had this kind of connection where they were always trying to get into that world and and be a part of what inspired them. Um for me, I came to it all in a kind of roundabout way, uh which was that when I was younger, I spent uh, a lot of time in nature and also uh, my mother did was doing this work with it was kind of like cultural liaison work with um tribal elders and different people from different cultures around the world and when they would come out to australia to do a, a talk or a visit or something like that we would sometimes host them at our house or we would you know be spending a lot of time uh, engaging in those discussions uh, I also grew up in India um, for for a couple of years of my life on and off when I was really young. Um, and so I was surrounded by mythology and storytelling from that perspective rather than from pop culture. So I, from a really young age, was writing and uh, coming up with stories and and doing a bit of drawing and stuff like that. But I never saw it as connected to this kind of world of entertainment and, and pop culture. Um it was connected to, I guess, the history of fine artists and and kind of um, magical and and spiritual traditions. 
And then um, in high school, towards the end, I chose to do visual art and it was kind of a, a, a midstream switch, let's say, and I did it for the last two years of high school. And I felt a really big difference between the way that people engaged with writing and art. And I loved the instant feedback thing of, of having a sketchbook and someone sees it and they love it or they hate it or they don't understand it or whatever, <laughs> but you know straight away and you don't have to ask someone to sit down and spend three weeks reading your, your uh, manuscript. And so um, when I left school, I didn't, I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to do as a career, but I decided to, to go to art school uh, because I'd found this uh, internet forum called conceptart.org. And like, just as I was leaving school and I suddenly realized there's a whole industry for concept artists and illustrators and there's digital painting and there's all this stuff that I, you know, even though I played games and whatnot, I really had no idea that, that how that worked. So I found that and very quickly um, fell in love with that world. And uh, a couple of weeks into university, uh, the conceptart.org guys ran a workshop in Amsterdam, the first one that they did. And I spent what little money that I'd saved from my part-time job to head over there and, and meet those guys and uh, wow. ask for some advice. And, you know, like, what is, what's this all about? Is it even possible for someone from Australia to get into this and so on and so forth. And they, they kind of asked me what my university course looked like. And I told them and they were like, this isn't going to work. If, if you want to do this, you need to be doing life drawing. You need to be, you know, like really painting your butt off. And what you have in this curriculum is a very contemporary art focused uh, course that, that, that's very conceptual and it runs across all different media and you're not going to get the focus that you need. So um, one, one guy in particular, Kevin Llewellyn or, uh, Puddinhead was his um, <laughs> on, online handle. Uh, he, you know, we spent a couple of days together after the workshop and we went out to a, um, a medical museum in, uh, I think in Utrecht and studied uh, like Cyclops um, babies. And it was like a, oh, like, wow. a like a birth deformity museum, mm -hmm. let's say. And so we were in there drawing and going out to the red light district at night. And, and it was also my first time like in Europe uh, you know, on my own and that kind of thing. So we were walking around at night in these cafes and drawing and talking and whatnot. And that was a huge, huge influence for me just to see someone doing it independently and living that kind of romantic lifestyle of it. And, you know, with his sketchbook tucked between his backpack and his back at night with paintbrushes sticking out the side. And it was like really a, a an archetypal kind of image for me. The full bohemian experience right there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And um, so I went back to Australia and I, I didn't even quit university. I just never went back. Like, I, I just had no interest in it. So, like, I was You're getting still emails. Like, You're actually still enrolled as a student. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm the longest. I'm the, long, I'm the student that's been there the longest, technically. Um, no, I just never went back. So I, I started learning on my own. And um, within a year of that, I started freelancing and uh, had little odd jobs for, for design studios who, there's one design studio that took on a job for doing concept art and they actually had no idea what concept art was. So, you know, like six months later when the deadline was coming up, they, they realized they needed an actual concept artist. So that was my first gig. And then... Um, Gradually, so so then eventually at one point, uh, I was part of a little online collective studio on this art forum and we as a group reached out to D&D &D, uh, to take on commissions as a studio, which I believe they hadn't done before. And so they kicked us a bunch of work and we shared it amongst ourselves and did that for a while. And then gradually, uh, most of them dropped off and stopped working for D&D &D and I kind of carried on. 
and then eventually got poached from D&D into magic uh, when I met Jeremy Jarvis at a, an art workshop in Massachusetts at the Illustration Masterclass um, some years later. At that point, had you really played magic? I mean, had you delved no. into it at all? I never, I never had, and I still haven't really. So I, I love oh, wow. it when I do play, um, but I, I have so much stuff that I want to do in my spare time. I stopped mm -hmm. playing video games kind of like, I don't know, in my mid twenties and, and like, I love it. And every now and then I'll go back and, you know, dabble. And I, I play magic when I go to GPs and stuff like that. And, and I love it. I appreciate it. Um, but I also feel like it's a really hard game to be a part of if you're not keeping up with it regularly, you know? So, um, my earliest, my earliest memory of magic was walking past kids playing it in the school library hallway as I was going to find art books, you know, like looking at it, like, Oh, wasting your time with card games, having no idea that like the art books that I was going to find were the influence for exactly what they were, they were looking at in that moment, you know? So it's, it's kind of funny to look back on that. Not that I ever, um, looked down on it. It was, in fact, I think I was probably jealous because I, I was, you know, like I was in study mode and I was like, oh man, it'd be cool to like have friends and sit down there in the library and play this cool game, you know? So yeah. It's very interesting probably now that you've come to it that you don't get to play as much, but now looking into the history of the art that's gone right. into it. Um, right, totally. I think the most interesting thing about magic uh, artists is this interplay between their their personal work and their and their magic work. And not just like, oh, it's cool that, that this artist also does something on the side, but like the way that those things play in and out of each other. And, and that's something that I've grown to appreciate because of the way that magic has woven in and out of my life. And it's not just a static thing. It's not just a job that's separated from everything else I do. It's kind of like weirdly um, symbolically a part of my life. And, and even just, you know, the name magic, like, telling all of these people in my life that have no idea what it is that I make magic, you know, and the, <laughs> the associations that they make with that. And, and, you know, in a way, when I say it, like I have all these connotations in the back of my head where it's like, yeah, it is kind of magic. I mean, I have, I have these people over on the other side of the planet that give me money to sit here and design things and do fantasy paintings while I'm living in the jungle in Bali. And like, and somehow it's this thing that rewards me based on how much energy and love I put into it. It, it gives that back to me. So that is magic. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. So yeah, I, I, I look at artists and I, I'm fascinated to see things that they're working on and, and also just who they are and, and what they think and what kind of personalities they are behind this this thing that somehow brings us all together and, and gives us a consistent um, product that we all work on. So it's kind of an entry, an entry point where I see the little differences between my art and Titus's art and whoever's art. And then when you go into that and step into that person's uh, worldview, it, it goes off in all these unexpected directions. I mean, it, I mean, we talk about this a lot, that the, the game is called Magic the Gathering. We emphasize right. the gathering part here. Right. And you, you mean, even just the community of artists within that, I mean, we talk about all these different spheres. We have players, we have cosplayers, we have the artists, we have, you know. I, I was going to actually ask and sort of follow up on that and just say, like, do so a lot of folks, I think that we've talked to, like Titus, when we interviewed him, for instance, um, he comes from like you'd said star wars background and sort of also an immersion in fantasy ips um but because you're coming from 
immersion in sort of historical sort of spiritual folklore as your mm-hmm. background stuff do you think how do you think that's in, sort of influenced your work and made it i guess different than a lot of the other artists that we see in magic um so i think i think in the be- in the beginning or let's say on on an on a a superficial level i think that you can see it in my preferences in terms of really simple stuff like what kinds of characters what kinds of shots and um especially in the beginning when i started and there were fewer art directors art directors and i was specifically working with jeremy a lot he really got that and he'd met me in person as well which which helped and so he gave me a lot of uh what what he called uh, moments of repose and he was like you know this isn't very common in magic to have characters that aren't you know in a combat pose and they're not staring down the camera um and so that and and kind of organic landscapes and um i just really wasn't super comfortable with a lot of the cinematic language that had come out of pop culture not that i i was uncomfortable with it but it just wasn't in my vocabulary and i struggled with with axe wielding barbarians <laughs> um so i think you can see it in that level but then taking it a step further i'm i'm not so much like yeah i come from the the authentic spiritual world and people like titus come from star wars like i think that all of that comes ultimately from from that dimension so i see them as um different points of access into that deeper thing that that people have in different ways and you know i i mean i got right into star wars um for a long time as well through through joseph campbell and and what influenced star wars and what created such a such a tight um powerful mythic structure so uh you know it's it's just a matter of the difference in how those things are expressed on the surface but um you know beyond that how did that background influence it? Uh, it definitely came through in in Kaladesh a lot because um, I was part of the concept team for that, mm. and I grew up in India. So when they were like, "Yeah, we're doing a kind of you know roughly Indian themed uh, world," I was right into that, and not just not just kind of cherry picking the visual stuff, but also you know putting a lot of work into trying to influence what the politics of that world were going to be and kind of gut checking on on how that storyline lined up with my you know slightly deeper understanding of what it felt like to be in that country at least things like that and um you know and the intention behind the work like for me i definitely not all the time but uh, as often as i possibly can i i check my intention behind the artwork that i'm doing and like does this does this feel right even though it's you know it's part of a game it's part of a product it's part of a commercial world um is my heart in the right place with this painting do i do i think that it carries a nice a nice feeling or a useful feeling or some kind of like energy that would be motivating for someone and uh yeah so i guess it i guess it's there in the background as a as a kind of uh, barometer yeah i mean that that mindful kind of approach to it right. um titus yeah. kind of asked us to talk to you i mean he he, he personally att- no we sent out a request <laughs> for questions and titus kind of said you know he was wondering could you talk about this crossover and influences from coming from your personal life as an independent artist into the magic world and kind of vice versa. And and, and along those lines, is there anything that you've changed about your journey through learning art? Okay. So as far as what, what would I have changed uh, in my path up until now? I think, so for me, the biggest um, dynamic in my, in my life as an artist is this balance between the personal and the professional stuff. 
which which is rife with all sorts of um, kind of baggage and assumptions that come with being an illustrator. That is, as most of them are, inspired by fine art, historically speaking. And so you're you're left in this position where you have a day job and you're doing commercial work for a product, but you're inspired by these people that kind of went out before that existed and and forged a path for themselves. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that were you know painting for the church or painting politicians, you know they didn't have an art director. They weren't doing it you know through a through a corporation. They still had to fight for their own identity and and to kind of make their way up through those social uh, ranks and be a personality to do that. I would have liked to have stayed at art school in order to experiment more with mediums because as I develop my fine art I I realize how limited I am in my vocabulary of expression and and you know I only paint I'm just a painter when it comes to printmaking or sculpture or video and all of that kind of stuff I'm like I don't know that's not me I don't know how to do that and I think that the people that I know that that did that art school experience are much more comfortable at experimenting and and you know changing up the format and the freedom that comes with that would be really good to have at this point. And likewise, I probably would have pushed myself earlier on to do some solo shows and exhibit my fine artwork more because I had this attitude of you know well I have a job I paint for magic that mm-hmm. gives me the money I need to live and then I do my fine art for myself. Hmm. And now that it's become really important to for me to share my personal work, and I'm trying to put that into play, I'm struggling against. Oh, well, have, you know, have you done many shows? What's your experience? And, mm-hmm. and you know, like being in that position, like I swear I can do it. Trust me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are those are kind of like practical things that I would have done differently. But uh, you know, as far as the rest of it goes, I I always really followed my intuition on where I felt like I needed to be. And that, that often meant moving and and doing quite difficult um, moves, you know, either around Australia or to different countries or, you know, I was either moving for, for relationships or personal reasons or because I was following what I needed for my art. So there's very little that I would change in that regard. And, you know, what's, what has changed over all of that time, I think is, probably less interesting than noticing how much has remained and you know as as i've changed situations and contexts so many times it's really like well it's it's cool to see the things that don't go and and you know to kind of triangulate who am i really based on well i'm not this because when i moved that went and i didn't care so okay that mustn't be a real part of me this mustn't be a real part of me what's left at the end of all of that you know there's there's some qualities of um for instance imagination was something that i never consciously thought about as something that i had it was it was very like automatic and people would be like oh you have a cool imagination yeah okay whatever like i don't really know what that means thanks i guess um don't don't we all you know and, I, well, and then, I, that actually um, brings up so just real quick um yeah. you've kind of been talking about sculpting your own narrative i mean you had to determine who you were you had to create this storyline in your head of, of who you have been dropping off the pieces through the uh-huh. years and and shifting that viewpoint now that you didn't do art school, you didn't have the other mediums. There are things you could approach, but they kind of shaped where you're at at this point. I mean, I mean we always talk about this, just the idea that you're creating your own narrative, you're writing it um, constantly, and you've had to adjust your viewpoint of who you are. And 
like you just said, you know, with the imagination piece, even just learning that other people don't have that, (laughs) that same thing as you, because that's, that's what you've known about yourself. So the weird thing that I, that I do notice in a lot of artists is that we tend to push against the thing that as in to reject the thing that often is really the most us. Hmm. And I think that it often happens because the thing that's really us is what other people see and then employ you to do. And then that becomes your day job. And then you think that it's the boring part of you. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, I went through a process where I, I was really into designing things from my imagination, building these fantasy worlds, got into D&D, got into magic let's say mastered that job in a professional sense, became an established magic artist and then kind of got over it and it started to feel like a job. And then I was like, I want to get away from this stuff and I want to do serious art and I want to, you know, I want to do less of this imaginative work and do real art. And then the more that I did that, the more it kept coming. It was like, this doesn't feel right. This feels a little bit lifeless. This feels a little bit dead. What's it missing? Oh, right. The imagination thing. And then, but then it was like, I had to go and rediscover, like, what is it? Cause it's not dragons. It's not, you know, it's not this world or that world or whatever. No, it's goblins. What's, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really like, what's the essence of that? And, and why is that so important? I mean, it's, 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 you know, and then back to childhood, back to where I grew up, the stories that I heard, you know, like which, which books and stories and movies made me cry when I saw them and I had no idea why. And maybe now I do, maybe now I get that. Maybe now I I understand more of the world to understand why that thing had an effect on me. So you you talked earlier on about kind of your writing. Um, that was a piece of what you did. Art was a way to, you could get that, you know, your art could be looked at by somebody in minutes or hours versus weeks and days. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, we've talked a little bit with, you know, my example of Freya Elise, Joe talking about a plane, we're talking about Jace's Sanctum, these things that are really important to the storyline. How much have you kind of engaged with the lore of the story as you're, you're working on this? Is it a matter of you get a prompt, um, you're able to look for references and that's it? Or I mean, I guess for for us coming from where we do, we're kind of marrying the lore of the game, the storyline with real world applications. And we're just curious kind of what your engagement has been with the lore of magic. I think, I think it's limited just because I'm not a player. So I think people that are involved in the game all the time have that relationship with the story. Mm-hmm. Um, what I get fed to me in terms of law comes through the style guide. So in the, when we, when we get the style guide, uh, we have a front section, which is the bulk of the document, which is the visual reference uh, that goes out for the artists. And in the same document, there's a style guide for the writers that do the flavor text. And so that's where all of the law lands in that document. And so, uh, you know, originally I never got to that part. I'd go to the page that I needed for reference or I would, I'd scan through the whole thing to get a visual sense of things. And then I just was like, yeah, the writing doesn't, doesn't, isn't really super important for me. Yeah. Now I do more <laughs> of that. Um, I, I definitely, just because it got to the, I think for, for the, majority of my time with magic all i really cared about was are the paintings good like just it was Mm. just an image quality thing at a certain point i achieved consistency with that and i felt like okay it's not really 
a question of whether I'm going to be able to hit the target artistically. So what am I going to look for that, that keeps me interested now? And so that's when I started to dig a little bit more into that part of it. I'm sure you've got a little more time and energy now too, to sort of, now that you're not focusing so much on those technical elements. Right. Well, now the, the new thing is, um, that I'm, I'm, at least considering or, or testing out switching to traditional for more of the time. Mm. And with, with that comes this kind of excitement about, okay, like now I feel like I'm actually creating something for the community, like mm-hmm. consciously, not just as a byproduct. Like mm-hmm. my art director isn't just wizards and I trust that they know what everyone else wants. And so if I keep them happy, everyone else will be happy. Now it's mm-hmm. like, keep them happy. And also I know that this thing is going to go to someone. And it's Mm. going to go to someone that probably knows more about this world and appreciates it even more than I do (laughs) in that way. So what can I, what can I give to this hypothetical person? What can I slip in there? So, um, so now only now have I started to really dig into the, um, the wiki and, you know, every time (laughs) I get a commission, like some things are more interesting than others. Some things I'm like, Oh, I'm pretty sure this is an important part of the magic world. And then I look it up and it's like, ah, not really. Like it's not really that (laughs) central to everything, you know, just a name that's stuck in my head, but yeah, I, I do get into it more now, but, um, you know, at the same time I look at it all and I'm like, wow, this is, this is such a developed complex world with so many storylines and stuff like that. And it's, it's not a world that I am emotionally, you know, wrapped up in as much as I am in my own world and my own life. So, so, you know, I get into it, let's say just purely through the context of the art that I'm doing for the game. And I, and I wouldn't go too far beyond that. You know, it's, it's this kind of giant co-creation process between hundreds of people that, you know, the artists are feeding stuff back into that ongoing design process, which I don't know if anything else exists that so intermarries, you know, the, the target audience, the, the producers and the directors of the project. It is kind of this modern myth-making process in, yeah. in that way, where we all are doing that communal building. I mean, yeah. that's, that's sort of what we, you know, vaguely talk about in uh, on Twitter with the like magic content creator community even is that we just, you know, we love being part of this, this group of people, including the artists, including wizards, including everybody who just helps to all push all of these ideas into one pile and go, okay, let's see how they all connect. That's yeah. awesome to think that way. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be crazy if like the apocalypse happened and then humanity like slowly reblossomed and the the ancient text that they found was like the magic wiki <laughs> and they thought that it was the history of the world well in, in a way like that goes back to tolkien jr right, right? Wrote, wrote the lord of the rings because he wanted to kind of give the west a, a deeper mythology and these this other thing and that has kind of made modern was was a forefather of modern fantasy mm-hmm. and magic and D and things kind of have been influenced by that and we're doing that now you know, you know what I think is really interesting about magic that separates it from from those things that it came from. You know, Tolkien was a guy, and he he was into this mythopoetic um, way of being an artist, but it it came from a vision of like what like what is my idea of the world, and how can I make that metaphorically uh, contained in this thing? Whereas magic, on the one hand, it does uh, set its own intention and, and it creates a world, 
but it also interestingly has this commercial side and it's based in like gameplay and psychology and the market. And so mm. what you're getting is the creation of a fantasy mythological world, Tolkien-esque, that's combined with some kind of like almost economic mechanism of reflecting the real world we live in. So it's like it expresses our ideals and our fantasies about you know, the heroic archetype and stuff like that. But at the same time, the, it's split up and structured in a way that reflects market economics and, you know, and, and kind of like what's, what's happening in the culture. And I think that's, I mean, new at least and very interesting. So, What is interesting when you're talking about kind of wanting to maybe re-engage with some of the uh, more traditional art, um, oil painting, kind of the stuff that you had the history with, versus the digital that you've been more, you mean doing recently and especially for magic. Mm -hmm. If you at this point could talk to Jeremy Jarvis and ask for a commission, you know, what, if you had that ability and we obviously don't know how much of that you can or can't do, if you could, uh -huh. what would you kind of like to do at this point? What, I mean, is there, is it a, is there a certain plane that you would like to envision that we haven't been to? I, I don't, we're just kind of curious what you would seek. I, you know, because of, of maybe now that you understand a little bit about where I come from, it probably wouldn't surprise you that I would, I want to dig into the foundations of, of this uh, universe. I was going to say world, any worlds. So I think that I would, you know, I want to, I want to get involved in whatever lies under the surface like where did all these planes come from like whether it's whether it's dominaria and and going as far i think like the oldest the oldest thing in the in the kind of official lore is is like the elder dragons right like mm -hmm. that's kind of as far back as it goes ish mm -hmm. so like i think things around that like you know what was the the creation myth that tolkien did um the silmarillion yes mm -hmm. like that version like i want to do that version of magic where it's like what was the the prehistoric an most ancient version of this which would probably result in really like abstract card art you know like really <laughs> like what what does the void look like before mm -hmm. any of the planes came into existence and you know what was the what is oh. the soul of the first elder drag like that kind of weird stuff you know and mm -hmm. i think i think there's cool opportunities that happen with stuff like the sagas you know where you get to represent these things in non-literal ways so that would that would probably be the content and i think my my ultimate uh, fantasy for for a commission that would come into my inbox would be uh, Adam, we would like this painting of the creation of the multiverse and you have a year to do it and we'd like a 60-foot oil <laughs> painting. Like, yeah, I'm on it. Can, you, can you rent me a castle big enough to, to hoist that thing up in and then I'll get painting? Oh, my gosh. No, I, I think like if there was ever a, a legitimate purpose for something like that and they were like, you know, we just want we want like the most traditional epic oil painted thing that that kind of somehow expresses the the depth of this world and and it's like the opposite of all of this kind of transient digital art stuff like this is real concrete stuff i, I would be totally on that that would be the literal sistine chapel of magic art yeah <laughs> like, that's that's amazing I was, gonna, I was gonna make that reference they just call you into to was it redmond 
have you just come uh-huh. to the office and then just like we're gonna have you paint this wall yeah look I, i've been there it doesn't exactly look like jace's sanctum i gotta say <laughs> they might have they might have to relocate to prague <laughs> that's awesome. i mean i'm also loving this idea of like a 60 foot oil painting that now needs to be able to fit onto a one inch by you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we want it to look really good on a card also yeah 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 you know, you you build a cycle of cards or something. You just break that picture up, and then, Ooh, and it gets the box. collectors to uh, you know they have to get all the cards so they can put them together. And make no, I'm notes. I'm sorry, they're just gonna have to print a big card. <laughs> <laughs> That's a solution too. That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter, or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. This episode of Goblin Lore was hosted by Hobbs Q, where you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written and researched by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander New M. Engineering, editing, and production for this episode by Joe Redeman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Our music is by Wintergarten, who you can find at Wintergarten.com. That's winter, G-A-T-A-N.com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter, at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is a presentation of Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at HipstersoftheCoast.com or on Twitter, at HipstersMTG. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.